The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening, everyone. We've got a lot to get to tonight, including the arrest of Frank James, the man suspected of carrying out yesterday's shooting spree on a Brooklyn subway. The 30-hour manhunt reportedly came to an end after James himself called the police tip line. The motive for yesterday's carnage is still unclear, though we are learning about videos James apparently posted online ranting about race and violence. We'll have much more on that coming up. But we begin the readout tonight with the war in Ukraine, where we are trying to untangle yet another day of Russian disinformation. Today, Russian forces claimed that they had taken control of the southeastern port city of Mariupol, claims that were rejected by U.S. defense officials, the deputy mayor of Mariupol, and an aide to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Mariupol is a key target for Russia as it seeks to establish a land route to the Crimean Peninsula. Local officials report that Russian forces have murdered nearly 22,000 people in Mariupol, which included the bombing of a maternity hospital and a bomb shelter packed with families. Just yesterday, President Biden assured reporters that he meant what he said when he called Putin's war a genocide. Yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. This morning, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe released a report with evidence documenting acts considered to be war crimes and crimes against humanity. The report catalogs evidence of direct targeting of civilians, attacks on medical facilities, rape, executions, looting, and forced deportation of civilians to Russia. Today, just hours after President Zelensky outlined a long list of weapons he wants from the West, President Biden authorized an additional $800 million in weapons, ammunition, armored personnel carriers, an unmanned naval vessel, and 11 helicopters. Since taking office, President Biden has committed $2.4 billion in military aid to Ukraine. And that his, by the way, his his predecessor had threatened to withhold in order to blackmail Zelensky in order to make up dirt on Biden. This comes after Russia's sociopathic dictator made a rare public appearance yesterday, dismissing the claims of war atrocities as fake. He added that Russia's military operation would continue until, quote, its full completion, whatever that means. Putin's appetite for destruction is also being felt at home. On Monday, Vladimir Karamurza, a prominent member of the Russian political opposition, who happens to also be a friend of this show and a frequent guest on this network, was sentenced to 15 days in jail on charges of, quote, disobeying police orders. Hours before Karamurza was detained in Moscow, he appeared on CNN, where he described the Kremlin as a regime of murderers. And on Sunday, he spoke to my friend and colleague Ali Velshi about the importance of vocal dissent in Russia. I can just tell you on a personal level, not a single day goes by without somebody approaching me on the street, shaking my hand here in Moscow, sometimes asking to take a picture with me and saying, thank you for what you're doing. And these are only the people who are not afraid to do that. So there are many, many people in Russia who oppose this criminal aggression by Putin on Ukraine just as much as people in the free world do. And that is an important message to remember. 
His arrest should come as no surprise because this is how Putin stifles dissent. He locks up people who call out his false narratives. Last month, Alexei Navalny, another outspoken Putin critic and rival political leader, was slapped with an additional nine years in prison after being found guilty on new trumped-up charges. Meanwhile, three Americans remain in Russian prisons on questionable charges. Trevor Reed, basketball star Brittany Griner, and Paul Whelan. Joining me now is Evegnia Karamurza. I mean, Evegnia Karamurza, Vladimir Karamurza's wife. And I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Thank you so much for being here, Mrs. Karamurza. Thank you very much, Joey, for having me here, for giving me this opportunity to speak out on behalf of Vladimir, who has been speaking out fiercely on behalf of so many oppressed Russians over the years. He is um, incredibly brave. Uh, well, he is. He I, truly I wanted is. To... Sometimes it's hard to live with, uh, but <laughs> but I do respect and admire him tremendously, and I do hope that he will be on your show sooner rather than later again by himself and um, uh, not <laughs> me uh, speaking on his behalf. Um, well, we're well, we're glad um, to have have you. And I, I just want to really quickly ask you: Have you had a, been had an opportunity to speak with your husband? And do you know if he is okay? I did speak to him this morning and uh, he told me um, he told me not to lose faith. He said that we would prevail despite all odds. We would prevail even if the road to freedom uh, will be so much more dangerous and, oh my God, so much bloodier than we could ever have imagined. But the fact is, the fact is that Mr. Putin did not become a murderous dictator overnight. He has been oppressing, uh, throwing in prison and poisoning and killing his opponents for years and years and years. Vladimir has been fiercely advocating for targeted sanctions against murderers and thieves in the Putin regime since 2010. And his friend, his close friend and colleague, Boris Nemtsov, who uh, was working with him on these sanctions, uh, on the introduction of these sanctions, paid the ultimate price for this advocacy because he was killed, shot down in front of the Kremlin um, in 2015. Vlad himself paid a very high price for the same advocacy. Uh, he was poisoned twice in 2015 and 2017 and had to relearn how to walk and use a spoon twice. And... Um, and now the uh, Russian regime decided that it's time to try to lock him up because he's so efficient outside and because no matter what they do, he keeps coming back and he keeps coming back and he continues his work no matter what. After the first poisoning, he only started to walk again. He took his stick and he walked back to Moscow. And they, I think, realized that he's going to do it again and again. Um but the fact is also that Vladimir is not alone in his fight. According to Russia's Memorial Human Rights Group that was shut down by the Russian government um, in late December of last year, there are currently 442 people in Russia that are serving unlawful sentences for their political views or religious beliefs. And uh, that number is growing consistently uh, on a daily basis. Over 15,000 people have been arrested all across Russia since the beginning of the war. They, uh, these are the people who went out to protest in the streets against the war, despite all the restrictive measures and laws that have been introduced 
every day. There is a law nowadays in Russia under which you can get up to 15 years in prison for just calling this war a war or for disseminating, as the Russian government calls it, fake news, which is in fact objective, true information about uh, Putin's army's atrocities in Ukraine. And Mm -hmm. um, so I I think that people sometimes ask me about those opinion polls, um, according to which apparently about 83-5% of Russians support the war. And I tell them, would you really trust opinion polls conducted in a totalitarian regime? And this is what Mr. Putin turned our country into, into a totalitarian regime where there is no free speech whatsoever, where people get arrested for holding a blank sheet of paper in the middle of the street, or where a uh, an Orthodox priest gets arrested for speaking against the war in his Sunday sermon. And... Um, so these people, these 15,000 people give me hope because no matter what, they go out and protest. They have to say no to this war and they yeah. do it. Let, let me ask you this question, because, you know, I, I, when uh, your husband mentioned the last time that he was on our show um, and mentioned that he was going back, I was nervous. I, I, I asked him, why do you go back? And he said, because I'm a Russian politician. This is my home and this is where I need to be. Um, but the history is as you said, it is very dark. Boris Nemtsov, as you said, the friend, uh, your your husband's friend, was murdered. He was a, you know, really could have changed Russia had he been allowed to um, actually run in a, in a legitimate election. Alexei Navalny d- jailed for, you know, now nine years. Um, your husband, as you've mentioned, has been poisoned twice. In your view, is there a significant Russian opposition that is real and that is outside of Moscow? Is is there enough of an opposition that can see what's happening in Ukraine, is horrified enough by what's happening in Ukraine, that there's a chance that that opposition could take hold against Putin? Is that is that even something, is that a dream or is that possible? I think that we we need to believe in this. And we hear these voices from everywhere. We hear these voices of opposition from everywhere. And I think that we need to believe in this and we need to have hope, have faith in these people because, well, you know, uh, uh, Russia is a big country. And uh, Mr. Putin managed to install, to establish an iron curtain over Russia, around Russia, in uh, just a little over one month. Uh, The last opposition, uh, not opposition, but the last independent uh, media outlets were shut down at the beginning of the war. Uh, Russian citizens have no access to objective information. The younger population can install those VPN services, and even that is not always um accessible because you need to use apple pay for that to to install and pay for the vpn service and apple pay mm-hmm. is now banned in russia it's, it doesn't work there so um but people will find a way and uh there is a growing uh discons- well it's not the it's i believe there is a growing frustration uh among Russians everywhere. Many Russians had to leave Russia because of the events, because they were afraid for their lives, because they were afraid for their um, families, and because maybe they believed that speaking out against the war would be safer from a safe distance. 
Not mm. everyone has to be has to behave like Vladimir or Alexei Navalny, uh, because not every well Vladimir believes that a Russian politician need to be needs to be in Russia, and he goes mm. back. But many people, ordinary people, uh, small business owners who want to raise their kids in a free country and who want the best yeah. for their kids. They, they're not politicians. They don't want to um, to join any political struggles, any political fights. But they're still prepared to speak out or to help. And they've been yeah. helping. I know so many Russians who have been helping uh, refugees in the Baltic states, in Poland, yeah. in Germany. They have been involved in helping refugees and they feel shame and they're terrified and mm. horrified by what's happening in Ukraine truly are yeah. and I don't have uh, one acquaintance who is supporting this war right. and I have well, I know a lot of people <laughs> not one yeah. of them support this war so you know that gives me hope <laughs> and yeah. I, uh, well, you... since I'm a Russian I, yeah I don't support the war my husband doesn't support the war and I don't know one yeah. person who supports it so it means that, yes, there is hope for Russia. Um, the only um, thing is, uh, and it's, it's a big concern, Mr. Putin uh, is not destroying one country right now. He's destroying mm -hmm. two countries He's destroying at two. the same time. You're because when right. Vladimir Putin uh, is finally in jail with his clique, with his close circle, when they're finally rotting in jail somewhere far away, Russia will be left yeah. in ruins. It's yeah. gonna be I, it's gonna be a sad place. And people like my husband will be rebuilding it from scratch. And yeah. I want to uh, and uh, I know that he's been uh, talking to Western leaders uh, to make them see that there is there are so many Russians who want a free Russia, who want to bring change to our country, who want to live in a democracy and who are, who will be willing to rebuild, to do this dirty job of rebuilding a country from yeah. scratch in the middle yeah. of this desert. Um, and so, uh, and well, I hope, I hope that it happens sooner rather than later. Well, Evgenia Karamurza, we hope so too. And you are giving us hope. Thank you very much for speaking with us. And when you speak with uh, Vladimir, um, please let him know that all of us here at The Readout send him our best. Um, we appreciate Thank and really much. respect what he's doing. Cheers. Um, and up next on The Readout. Thank you. And up next on The Readout, Russia's changing battle plan. The new general brought out, brought in following Putin's really poor military strategy, which led to the savagery we're seeing now. Plus, the man accused of opening fire on a Brooklyn subway train is now in police custody. We'll have the latest on that investigation. Also, football legend Herschel Walker would be way out of his league in the United States Senate. He's not even showing up for debates. But Walker is just the latest example of how the Republican Party is pushing... How do I say this delicately? Anti-intellectual candidates. And Tucker Carlson could be the absolute worst on almost any day of the week. But he loses out tonight to one of his guests. But Tuckums sure did seem to enjoy the very racist discussion. The readout continues after this. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Vladimir Putin continues to try to gaslight the world into thinking he's doing something noble by invading Ukraine. Here is how he justified it yesterday. This neo-Nazism has unfortunately become a fact of life in a, in a country quite, which is so close to us. These are obvious things. It was inevitable. It was just a matter of time. And what we are doing, helping people, saving them on the one hand, and on the other hand, we are taking measures to secure, to guarantee security for Russia itself. It's obvious that we didn't have another choice. A choice. With me now is Igor Novikov, former advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, and Julia Davis, columnist for the Daily Beast. Julia, I have to go right to you on this. Uh, that is that is some gaslighting for the ages. Um, who is that? Who is what audience is that for? Because he must know that nobody outside of the Kremlin and I guess the Russian countryside believes him. Yes, Joy, exactly, which is uh, he's continuing to try so hard to justify this war because it's impossible to justify it. His propagandists on state television are arguing that there is too much truth, too, too much uh, freedom, too much uh, um, freedom of speech. They are arguing there needs to be more censorship exactly so that messages like this one could resonate uh, for lack of better messaging. And he's appealing to people who are nostalgic for the, the former Soviet Union. Uh, there is increasing talk on state television about uh, the return of the Soviet Union, the return of that patriotic spirit. And that's what he's trying to revive by claiming against all uh, common sense, against all reason that he's doing something good and noble. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I'm sure the whole world is waiting for the return of the Soviet Union. No, something to look forward to. Um, you know, Igor, uh, on the other side of it, I actually think it was refreshing for President Biden to just go out and go ahead and say this was genocide. It's one of those Biden things. You know, he'll just go ahead and say a thing and then people go, oh, wait, maybe you shouldn't have said that. And he's like, no, I'm in it uh, this time. He didn't say it was a gaffe. He said, no, I meant it when I said it. It is genocide. Um, President Zelensky's response to that said true words of a true leader um, calling things by their names is essential to stand up to evil. We're grateful for U.S. assistance provided so far. We urgently need more heavy weapons to prevent further Russian atrocities. In your mind, does naming the thing make a difference? Does it change anything? Of course it does. Uh, and look, I've been saying 
a lot of times that President Zelensky is a human being amongst politicians. And what you're seeing, those snippets from President Biden, even though he's within the system that's more kind of conventional, you know, those are the little snippets of a human being inside the politician. And it's incredibly refreshing. And that means that, you know, the story does have a happy ending. So, uh, look, I applaud him for saying that. I applaud him for saying, you know, that President Putin was a war criminal before, you know, it, it became, you know, an official position of the U.S. government. So, um, look, he, we need those human beings to carry us through the turbulence. And President Biden is, is like that. No, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, the sort of regular guyness of Joe Biden is why Donald Trump feared him so much as, you know, as an opponent, um, an, an issue that also involved uh, President Zelensky. And Julia, uh, so this capture of this man, um, his name is Medvedchuk, Viktor Medvedchuk. He is uh, considered the butcher um, of, of Syria, um, the butcher of Aleppo. Uh, or no, actually, this is a different one. This is the leader of a pro-Russian opposition party in Ukraine who's extremely close to Putin. He's godfather to um, Putin is godfather to his daughter. Some experts have speculated that uh, if Putin had planned to install a puppet leader after toppling Ukraine's government, he would be the, he would be on the short list. His capture. Um, you talked about what they're saying about his capture. What are they saying in Russia about his capture? This is a big, uh, big one. This is the big fish. And that's exactly why Medvedchuk ran off from his house arrest, of which he was charged with treason and attempted to escape Ukraine, knowing that he would be safer in Russia under Putin, his close ally and the godfather to his daughter. So the Russian state media are furious about this capture. They actually said that seeing images of Medvedchuk, who's simply disheveled, but they claim that he's showing signs of severe torture, and they compared those images to Saddam Hussein, of all people. Uh, they're kind of dismayed because they don't know what Putin will want to do about it, whether he will take President Zelensky's offer to exchange Medvedchuk for Ukrainian men and women that are held in Russian captivity. So they're kind of confused. They don't know whether he would do it or not. So they, they were trying to play it both ways. One, to say that they don't have cronyism of that kind where they would exchange Medvedchuk, a Ukrainian citizen, for other Ukrainians. On the other hand, they were saying, of course, they might do it because it's important, and if it's in the interests of Russia, then it might happen. So they were completely infuriated. This is a, a great capture for the Ukrainians, and it'll be uh, fascinating to see what comes from it. Yeah, and, you know, Igor, I guess that would be the question, is whether or not knowing Zelensky, uh, President Zelensky, as you, as you do, you know, what might be the value in the end of someone like this? Because it, it appears that Russia is mass deporting Ukrainians into Russia to sort of steal them. That is genocide. It's sort of the textbook definition of it, of trying to sort of remake them into, you know, sort of forcible Russians. Um, what do you think that this young president might do with um, an asset like that in hand? Well, I mean, we're the country of law, so it depends on what the legal status of uh, Mr. Medvedchuk is. I mean, we have to abide by law. That's why we're different from Russia. But at the same time, look, uh, if he is to be exchanged, I'd only applaud it. But the, the thing is, I think Mr. Medvedchuk actually wins the law more by staying in Ukraine uh, as a prisoner in Ukraine, because one of the reasons Russia is losing this war this badly is because, you know, Medvedchuk's failed 
corrupt attempts to uh, refocus Ukrainian society to be pro-Russian is the reason mm. we saw the beginning of this war th- as this war of orchestras, uh, parades and crematoria. So, you know, now they kind of they're realizing that Putin actually fell victim to his own uh, propaganda and his own corruption. So, you know, his propaganda created this echo chamber around him and he genuinely believed Ukrainians will greet him with flowers. And the corruption that actually ironically saved Ukraine uh, meant that, you know, the money allocated to this war machine and the propaganda machine to prepare Ukraine to be easily occupied, you know, was stolen. And that gave Ukraine a chance. That was one of the reasons. By the way, if I may quickly, you know, I saw that snippet of President Putin commenting. You know, there are two observations I can't help but share. First of all, when he's saying about denazification of Ukraine, um, the guy standing next to him called Ragozin, you know, the head of Roscosmos, their space agency, is actually an ultra-nationalist and borderline neo-Nazi. So uh, that's one issue. The second thing, Putin is saying that, you know, this war was inevitable. And he's right, because Russia has fallen behind in everything, in technology, in its economy, in its reliance on fossil fuels, in its, you know, space industry. So, um, you know, they only had two options, either to fade to obscurity or to realize their imperial ambitions by attacking somebody. And they chose the left. Well-made observations. Igor Novikov, Julia Davis, thank you both very much. And still ahead, suspect in custody. Authorities have arrested the man they believe was responsible for yesterday's attack on a New York City subway. We'll bring you the latest on the arrest and the ongoing investigation next. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. The suspect in Tuesday's subway shooting in Brooklyn is now in police custody. Frank James was arrested this afternoon in Manhattan, ending a 30-hour manhunt that followed the shooting, which left 10 people injured. Just before the announcement, New York's WNBC released video appearing to show him entering the subway on Tuesday morning prior to the attack. James was taken into custody following a Crime Stopper tip, which police sources believe James called in himself. He is now charged with a federal offense of a violent act on a mass transit system and will appear in court tomorrow. Officials said his motive remains unclear, but and had no indication of yet of why James targeted the particular subway stop in Brooklyn Sunset Park neighborhood. But in now deleted YouTube videos, James had discussed violence, talking about death and a race war and the desire to exterminate certain groups of people. New York's Asian American Federation called Tuesday's shooting trauma visited on a neighborhood that in so many ways is a wonderful microcosm of what makes New York City great, noting that it's home to Brooklyn's Chinatown, as well as a large Hispanic population, a multiracial working class neighborhood. And joining me now 
is Congresswoman Nidia Velasquez of New York, who represents the district where the shooting took place. Um, thank you so much, Representative Velasquez. I appreciate you being here. You know, I, being having lived in New York and being born in, in Brooklyn, um, I am sensitive to this idea that there was a time in New York when walking around as a black person in certain areas, you just felt afraid, whether it was of police or other people in neighborhoods. You know, you're, you're talking about that era when that when, when those kinds of things happen in places like Howard Beach, et cetera. But now, you know, Asian Americans are feeling particularly vulnerable. And this community, it's called Little, it's called Brooklyn's Chinatown. It's 34.8% Asian. It's 35.6% Hispanic. Um, it, can you talk to me a little bit about that, how, how that is resonating, this fear that Asian Americans have already had, and now hearing that this person had, you know, lots of angry thoughts about Hispanics on his page, how folks are feeling in your district? Definitely. Uh, thank you, Joy, first and uh, foremost, for having me and discussing an issue that is so important to New York and uh, New Yorkers, but particularly immigrant communities. You know, immigrants have been dealing with the emotional toll of the pandemic. Uh, they were impacted more than any other groups. Uh, and the economic consequences of the pandemic. Also, prior to that, the immigration rhetoric uh, that was coming out of the previous administration. And so uh, from being a Chinese virus to people getting knocked down just for being Asian Americans, and now, you know, right there in the middle of Sunset Park, in the heart of a heavily immigrant community, to have this experience relieving so much and so much pain that they have been encountering for so long. Uh, it, 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 it just uh, too much to bear for the Asian American community and for the Latino community in some You know, and just look... Well, just looking at that, that video, I mean, it's a, it's a very multiracial group of people who ran off of that train in this area, given who lives there. You know, it is notable. You know, my my, my youngest uh, child sent me, a, my youngest son sent me a, a TikTok the other night, uh, last night, that, that, you know, really highlighted just how many Asian Americans were on that train running. I can't imagine after having already dealt with the fear of being on the subway because of the attacks on Asian Americans. Now this happens. It's very compounding. Um, and, and I wonder what you make of this prospect of putting more police on the subway trains. There were no officers there. I understand the cameras weren't working properly. There's a lot of issues there. But the idea of putting more police in places like this that are mainly immigrant and communities of color, what do you make of that idea? Well, uh, Joy, I, I think that we need to approach the issue of gun violence in, in our cities and across the country. And we have seen an increase of uh, violence in those communities. But also we have to understand, we have to deal with this in a holistic manner. It's just not guns and, and the need for Congress to pass stronger gun legislation, but it's safety issue, it's housing issue, is homelessness. So all that combination, just to have police presence is not enough to tackle the issue of violence in our communities, our cities and across the country. And, and I, so I take it you would not be in favor if the Supreme Court, I mean, what would happen if the Supreme Court were to basically throw out New York's gun laws? What would be the result? 
Well, again, I, I think that we need to use the best resources that we have, and that is uh, to have, uh, you know, working with the police department, but uh, we need to involve stakeholders, community-based organizations that have a history and a record in tackling the issues of gun violence. In my district, in Williamsburg, I have an organization, Los Sures, who are violence disruptors, and they have been quite successful. In fact, when President Biden and Mayor Adams held an event in New York City, I, I was there, and I told them that we needed to get more people involved to bring more uh, 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 stakeholders to deal with mm -hmm. this issue of gun violence in our communities. Congresswoman Nidia Velasquez, thank you very much. I um, really appreciate you being here this evening. Uh, and up thank next, George, cheers. Thank you. And up next, Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker becomes the living embodiment of conservative anti-intellectualism. I mean, come on, folks. Don't you want your elected leaders to know a little something about something? We'll be right back. Tell us what changed in the last 14 months since Warnock won that seat. You know, what, what has changed is where do you start? You know, where do you start at? What has changed is, uh, you know, we've got an administration as that, that they're not leaders. They're almost uh, they're, they're waiting to they're more reactive rather than proactive. And what I mean by that is, you know, one of the first thing they did, and I think people need to know this, is they decided that they were going to give up our energy by him going out, giving up our energy. And now we're not energy independent anymore, which started the whole downfall. Right. I mean. I know. I mean, I truly, for the life of me, could not tell you what Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker is talking about here. You know, our country is certainly not giving up our energy. An answer like that is probably why Walker skipped last weekend's primary debate, because he has no idea what he's doing. And of course, there's all the skeletons in his closet, including multiple allegations of violence against women, some of which he's admitted he's accountable for. Then there's the lying about being in the top 1% of his college class, despite never graduating, and the latest claiming to own companies that technically well, don't even exist. But the thing is, in today's Republican Party, it is not hurting him at all. He was endorsed by Donald Trump, of course, because he's famous and willing to parrot the big lie, and he's leading by more than 50 points, 5-0, in Republican primary polls. Though it does remain to be seen if his debate no-show changed any voters' minds. Walker is part of a larger anti-intellectual trend in the Republican Party. There's compulsive liar, Hitler's bunker enthusiast, and insurrectionist youth pastor, Madison Cawthorn, who also skipped a recent debate. And gender czar, Marsha Blackburn, who declared that Tennesseans want a wall on their southern border. Despite Tennessee's southern border touching Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, none of whom, like Mexico, are likely to pay for it. There's football coach Tommy Tuberville, who doesn't know what World War II was fought about. And when politicians don't actually have a low IQ, they just simply act like it, which is Foghorn Leghorn Senator John Kennedy's entire shtick. I'm joined now by Stuart Stevens, chief strategist of Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign and senior advisor at the Lincoln Project. And, you know, did, I'm going to mention Mitt Romney for me. I mean, there was a time when the idea of republicanism was a kind of almost sort of elite, sort of urbane sort of idea, right? There was the William F. Buckley, you know, William F. that was sort of what a Republican was when I was growing up. Um, that he would not make it in the Republican Party today. Um, and, and the, the people like the, the guy who pretends he's Foghorn Leghorn, even though he's a Rhodes Scholar, like that's the party now. 
I don't think that's because of Trump alone. Do you? No, I think, um, look, since World War II, there's been these two trends in the Republican Party. Call one an Eisenhower wing uh, saying governing and the other uh, Joe McCarthy wing. Conspiratorial, not concerned with governing, xenophobic, often racist. A lot of us thought that uh, the the Eisenhower wing, call it, uh, was the dominant gene. I think we were proven wrong. I think that the party is what the party wants to be. And it's a, a very strong anti-intellectual uh, party, which, I mean, we used to say that we we're the party of ideas, which may have been more self-flattering than true. But at least you aspired to be that. Now there's not even any pretense of that. Yeah, I mean, Mitt Romney just does, he sticks out so much in that party now. I mean, yes, he did the 47 percent thing, which was bad and, and, and tacky and got him made him lose, helped him lose the election. But, you know, at least he, you can tell that he still has a soul like his father's spirit is still in him somewhere. He still is like there's certain things he just won't do. He won't he won't degrade himself to a certain point. Yeah. But there, but I feel like, look, let's go to Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, who is from the old wing of the party. Right. He's a little Dixiecrat. Here and there, you know, he is like the black president can't have a Supreme Court justice. I'm going to do what I got to do to get my 6-3 court. But he sort of still styles himself as a regular order sort of old time Republican. He is servile to Donald Trump. He says if Trump runs, he's going to support him. He says, oh, we don't want any out there candidates. But according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he's on the list. He's one of the people advising Talking to Herschel Walker about policy, Lindsey Graham, Newt Gingrich, Mitch McConnell, Newt Gingrich, who I think is the person mainly responsible for this switch, Ted Cruz, Joni Ernst, Donald Trump. That's who's talking to him. Mitch McConnell's on that list. So he's just basically lying, right, when he says he doesn't want these out there candidates. He just wants famous names that people will vote for. Look, uh, I think Mitch McConnell represents everything that's wrong with the American political system. He's somebody who basically admitted in that interview with Jonathan Swan that he has no no red line, nothing, nothing, nothing can trigger him to do what is right. It is all about power. I mean, here's somebody who went to bed the night of November 5th, 2021. Majority leader woke up November uh, the next day. He was minority leader running colleagues running for their life in his office. And he still supports Donald Trump. It's it's just about power. That's it. There is no there there. And and what would you advise those of us who did? Because I felt like the media didn't take Trump seriously. Even I at first was like, that's a joke. Nobody, no, no sane person would ever elect that idiot to be president. And then, boom, he's president because he's famous. And so I, I, we have this debate even on our team. Do we talk about people like Herschel Walker or, or Marjorie Green or Madison Cawthorn? Do we just ignore them? Because I worry that Put aside the ones who are not famous, who are less famous, but somebody like Herschel Walker is a celebrity. I used to watch him play football growing up and used to admire him. Um, that fame to me is dangerous, makes him dangerous. Do we ignore him in your view or do we deal with them? No, I think you have to deal with it. Um, I was with you. I mean, a lot of people were wrong about Donald Trump in 2016, but it's hard to find anybody who was more wrong than me. I didn't think he'd win the primary of the general. Um, what I, what I think is really important here, Joy, is that there are these buffoonish characters out there. And so now Herschel Walker joins them. But the overall autocratic tendency in the Republican Party is not buffoonish. And there are very serious right. people who have proven they will put power in front of anything. And they are backing these people. And we have to take it seriously. 
And I, my the theory of the case is that, that these people that you're talking about, the Koch brothers types, the people who are thinking, who are planning, they prefer people like this. They prefer Tommy Tubervilles and Herschel Walkers because they just feed them the policy. They just say, do this. They just hand them a piece of paper, say, vote for this, 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 and this. Things that make them richer, that make them more powerful, that cut their regulations. These people aren't going to raise any objection because they don't even know what to object to. Do you, do you think that my theory is, is at least somewhat sound? I think it's somewhat sound. You have Herschel Walker who's meeting with a bunch of U.S. senators to remind him of his deeply held beliefs. Um, <laughs> it, it, there's just not a this is not what public office should be about. It should be about governing. And there's always been a dark side to office, but it's just taken over the Republican Party now where there is no reason it exists except to beat Democrats. And that's not really how a democracy can function. And also, you know, and, and- and I, I agree with you. And I'm somebody who believes that politics is important. And just simply holding office just to be there and to be a channel for someone else's greed, I think, is morally offensive. And I would rather a boring politician with principles and has things to say than a celebrity who's literally just a placeholder for the super rich. But that is just my rant. I won't put that on you. Stuart Stevens, thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate you. you. And don't go anywhere because the absolute worst is back, baby. It's been a while. But if anyone ever truly deserved the title... It's these peeps. Don't miss it. I, for one, love clarity. Like when Tuckum just out and admits he's not vaccinated. Great to know and stay away from me. Also, is he allowed in the Fox News building in Rockefeller Center? Because they have really strict vax rules. I also love it when Daddy and Junior Murdoch's most ardent and open white nationalist leans into his brand. Like the other night when he had on his rural fishing village internet show an unchastened, unvarnished white supremacist named Amy Wax. Sorry, Professor Amy Wax, neurologist who holds a tenured faculty position at one of the supposedly woke liberal Ivy League universities, the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Amy, let her rip. I think there is just a tremendous amount of resentment and shame of non-Western peoples against Western peoples for Western peoples' outsized achievements and contributions. I mean, it's really unbearable. I was actually, you know, leaving aside American blacks, who I think do feel that resentment and, and shame and envy. I mean, it's this unholy brew of sentiments. Yes, yes, Amy, we American blacks are just so envious of your Frederick Douglass, your jazz and blues, the foundations of rock and roll, properly seasoned food, peanut butter, the traffic light, the gas mask, the first open heart surgery, cultural cool, the civil rights movement that actually delivered real democracy to this country, Denzel Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, Black Panther, Thurgood, Katanji, Kamala, Obama. Oh, oh, wait, those are our things. Stop playing. Oh, Amy, Amy. I hate to break it to you, dear, but most of us actually love being black. We are incredibly proud of the achievements we've wrung out of this country despite two centuries of horror visited upon us by people like, well, like the same people who didn't include people like you. I do believe your origins are Eastern European refugees in their originalism either, let alone women. We are proud to have made this country better. What we are mad about is people like you and Tuckum still denouncing us as unworthy heathens who don't deserve to be here. Like when you said in 2017 in an interview, quote, I don't think I've ever seen a black student graduate in the top quarter of the class and rarely, rarely in the top half. 
leading some of the black students who had finished near and, or at the top of your class to say, excuse me, and the dean of Penn Law School to ban you from teaching core curriculum classes. But wait, there's more. Amy didn't let the AAPI folks get away either. So take, you know, the Brahmin women who come from India and they climb the ladder, they get the best education, we give them every opportunity, and they turn around and lead the charge on, on we're, we're racist, we're an awful country, we need reform, our medical system needs reform. Well, here's the problem. They're taught that they are better than everybody else because they are Brahmin elites, and yet, on some level, their country is a Excuse my language. Huh. Yeah, yeah, just no achievements out of the Eastern world at all, you know, other than mathematics, Hinduism, Buddhism, chess, philosophy, and again, spices and food. You should try it. Amy is not exactly new to this. In that 2019 New Yorker article, writer Isaac Chortner called her the academic who perhaps best represents the ideology of the Trump administration's immigration restrictionists, known mainly in recent years for her belief in the superiority of Anglo-Protestant culture and for promoting, quote, cultural distance nationalism or the belief that we are better off if our country is dominated numerically, demographically, politically, at least, in fact, if not formally, by people from the first world, from the West, than by people from countries that had failed to advance. And for taking the position that our country will be better off with more whites and fewer non-whites. A position that the Penn Law Dean called repugnant to the core values and institutional practices of both the law school and the university. Oh, here's the latest hand-wringing statement from the university where they say that they won't make any statements. Well, thanks, guys. And yet, like Tucker, she is still around. And still, the absolute worst. And that's tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.